In today's episode, we begin a new study, this time the Book of Ruth. The events told in Ruth are simple and beautiful, but they are made even more striking because of the chaotic and dangerous times in which they take place. In the opening chapter, we are introduced to Naomi, who has lost her husband and two sons in a short time, leaving her stranded in Moab, a foreign land, accompanied by her two Moabite daughters-in-law. What follows is just the beginning of a story of bravery and faithfulness to God. Good morning and blessed Epiphany Tide. Today is Friday, January 20th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. I'm urging you to learn more about their publishing and translating work by heading over to lhfmissions.org. Well, to kick off our new study, I'm pleased to welcome back to the show regular contributor, the Reverend David Boisclair, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, good morning and welcome back to the program. Good morning, Pastor Boo. It's it's always a joy to be on uh, Thy Strong Word with you and uh uh, God's Word is a lot to speak us righteous for the sake of Christ. <laughs> Absolutely. And Ruth is one of those uh, stories, those true stories that we find in the Scriptures that connects us directly to Christ, but it takes a little bit to get there and to put the pieces together. Uh, one could easily read Ruth and go, I don't know what this has to do with Jesus at all. But as all things in the Old Testament, it does point us forward to Christ our kinsman redeemer, but that's a, a little preview for Monday's episode. Today we just get introduced to the characters, uh, and I'm uh, looking forward to that. But before we do that, uh, how are things for you down in Pine Lawn, Missouri? How's the weather treating you? We Over here in Minnesota, uh, the kids were out of school again because we got another six inches on top of the 20 inches we got a week or so ago. Uh, so <laughs> today I think they're on a two-hour delay. Uh, how are things there? You guys uh, managing all right? We're mild. Uh, the temperatures are very mild. We had we had windy, uh, rain, rainy weather, but uh, uh, we're we're down in the we're on the south. Missouri's a southern state. Sure. Yep. <laughs> and separated from Minnesota by Iowa, but uh, we we're uh, we're in the fifties, and and uh, so we're basking in in the spring-like temperatures. Sometimes. I was going to say fifties would be almost summer around here. We got. We got three and four foot drifts of snow. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I just love hearing from different people in the country. You know, my dad, and of course, where I grew up, he's down south still and uh, in North Carolina. And so I'm hearing, you know, oh, yeah, it's 65 degrees. Yeah, it just drives me crazy. But I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you guys I'm are doing Wisconsin, well. I'm from Wisconsin originally, so I know what it's like to be cold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but not like Minnesota. Minnesota is is the Arctic. But you know, <laughs> Missouri's bad for ice, though. I do remember that. Oh, that yeah. Ice, especially oh, yeah. in St. Louis, it can get really treacherous oh. even in the winter, probably because yep. you got cold weather and rainy weather and everything else. Exactly. Exactly. Well, brother, uh, start us off with some prayer, and then we'll dive into the Book of Ruth. Yes. Let us pray, gracious Heavenly Father, how wonderfully you provide for your people through uh, this beautiful woman, Ruth, and her mother-in-law, Naomi. For us, uh, uh, the um, be beginnings of the uh, 
timeline, the genealogy of our dear Lord Jesus Christ, the great-grandmother of David the King, and also a, an example of faith, and, uh, and, and for especially for uh, the ladies in the Church of God. And we pray that you would guide us as we look at this touching story, as, as it is presented in chapter 1 of, of the book, and grant that we may relish and, and rejoice in your tender love, which reaches out so wonderfully to us in this day and age. Guide our study by your Holy Spirit, for we ask it in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, there's not a whole lot to set the stage for exactly. I know we have a lot of background probably to, to say, but I just want to read the first five verses to get us started. Let's get those out there. This is about Naomi's uh, coming to become a widow, and then we'll, uh, and then we'll sort of figure out where we're going to go from there. So I'm going to begin with of chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, uh, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Maelon and Kileon. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Maelon and Kileon died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Oh, brother, lots of stuff going on here. You know, there's a famine, sends them off into a foreign land. She loses her husband, her two sons. Uh, Naomi is well. She's she's had a a, a pretty bad run of uh, of a life. Hands her hand that was dealt to her was pretty bad. Uh, what can we glean from this? Uh, no pun intended for what's coming up. Well, well, I mean, maybe we'll just uh, introduce so, uh, about the book of Ruth. It is not part of the prophets. Uh, you know, dividing the Old Testament into the the Torah, the uh, Nevi'im, the prophets, and then the this is the Kituvim, the the holy writings. Um, it's uh, obviously it 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 was a very sound decision by the when they translated the Septuagint to put it right after Judges because as it says it's something that took place during the time of the Judges. Uh, it, it is very much a part of the liturgical Hebrew scriptures or the use in the synagogue. Uh, it's it's part of the uh, uh, section of the five Megaloth uh, writings, uh, which is, includes Song of Solomon and Ruth and uh, and and a couple other other of the uh, wisdom literature of of the uh, book of the Old Testament. Um, uh, the commentary says that this uh, event took place, uh, and I'm talking about Kyle Dalich. Uh, that's the old. Uh, 200-year-old. It it took place um, in the time of Gideon, uh, when uh, the um, Midianites uh, really they really uh, scorched earth the whole land, and so it was it was uh, there was a lot of famine because of the uh, incursion of these enemies of God's people, and uh, Elimelech 
uh, and and his family go to Moab. And of course, Moab is, uh, you know, they're kind of kinsmen to the people of Israel because uh, uh, Moab and or maybe Ben-Ami and uh, Moab were the sons of Lot. So uh, they were like uh, cousins to Isaac or, uh, yeah, that would that would probably be it. Um, uh, Abraham was Lot's uh, uncle, and then so they, he was a cousin to uh, Isaac, and uh, a first cousin once removed to Jacob. So there, there's kind of like a family tie. And, and even in the Old Testament, when God excluded, uh, you know, people, and mostly the Canaanites, from uh, fraternizing with the Israelites as they uh, conquered the, the Holy Land, uh, but that did not include Moab, because Moab and Edom and and uh, Amon were kind of considered uh, like relatives to the Israelites. But we do know that the Moabites were pretty hostile toward the Israelites uh, throughout their journey in the wilderness and other things. Um, And so it's still, while we have this, uh, you know, cousin connection, which is important to point out, uh, you know, it seems it's I think it's still going to seem interesting that we have Moabitess women or at least one coming into Bethlehem later in the story. Do you think there's any significance in that? Oh, absolutely. It's kind of like law and gospel in the Old Testament. Uh, the, the the law is is that the the people were to be a peculiar people, or to be, be separated unto God, uh, because there was the fear that uh, the uh, anybody like the Canaanites or any other nations of the peoples, the Gentiles, would would lead the Israelites away from the worship of the true God. And indeed, uh, Moab, their god was Chemosh. And, uh, you know, it was uh, was probably one of those uh, idols where they would uh, uh, have their sons and daughters pass through the fire and so on. You know, in other words, it would be a large uh, a bronze idol that was heated or an iron idol that was heated up. And, and uh, then and infants were, were uh, slaughtered on, on those altars. Um, they, but so that would be kind of the danger there. And as you said, there was a real big hostility between Israel and Moab. And, and, um, so, uh, you know, but, but see in the, in a famine situation where you had like Abraham going down to Egypt, uh, there, there, they had no recourse. They have to put food on the table for their families. So, you know, they, 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 uh, uh, was thinking, uh, you know, I'm going to, uh, provide for my family, and so he went to Moab. Right, yeah, you don't exactly have a lot of options when you're simply just trying to put food on the table, and they make their way to Moab, and about how far is that? I, last time I looked, I guess I figured, I don't know, is like 50 miles or something like that, or 60 miles? Yeah. How far is that? That's a, that's a good estimate. It's right across the Jordan River from, from uh, Judah, and uh, so, so he, they just had to cross the Jordan, and there they were in the land of Moab. Uh, and that, of course, is where Moses, uh, near Mount Pisgah, where Mo- Moses uh, had the children of Israel, and, the, and we entered into the, uh, into the promised land from that uh, entry point. So we have Elimelech, and we have his two sons, and they all make their way with Naomi to Moab, which wouldn't be far at all, according to modern transportation <laughs> uh, abilities. Yeah. But back then, it it still wouldn't have been terribly far, but it would have been far enough for her to be left basically in a place that she wasn't familiar with amongst a people who, um, 
has a, a complicated history with Israel, to say the least. And so they marry these two, the, the two sons, that is, of course, marry these two women, Orpah and Ruth. And then within a few years, about 10 years, they died. Um, there's some indication, maybe, you know, we're drawing from evidence not presented, but that perhaps part of their death, especially if they were young men, might have resulted either in the violence that was sort of all over the land at this time, or perhaps the the the, the famine had reached all the way to Moab and beyond. That famine was spreading. Well, um, the name Malon, which uh, is is the weekly, uh, you know that was that's the translation of Malon in Hebrew, the weekly or the weak person. Uh, so that was his, his name, and then Killian, uh, his name was pining so so they sounded like uh, maybe a little bit of you know they had some uh physical issues uh possibly uh elimelech of course his god is king that's what his name means and naomi uh, which will you'll look at it in the next chapter her name is gracious her uh, naomi means gracious but then she says she should be called mara because mm-hmm. because uh, she she lost her family and then so here are these three widows are, are left together. Oh, and, and incidentally, uh, Orpa, her name means uh, turn, turn back, uh, turning the back. So in a sense, uh, her name kind of uh, is sort of a prelude to what happens, although Naomi urges her to go back to her family. You know, but that's, I'm jumping the gun here. But anyway, uh, but, but Ruth, uh, there's, uh, uh, there, she, her name means a friend. <laughs> Well, look, it's amazing how names sort of mean all these things. Of course, they're living up to their names. They were given their names long before these events took place. So it's kind of a uh, an interesting way that we get introduced to the character of the people through their names. Um, just sort of a, a little bit of pop trivia. Um, many people probably already know this, but Orpa is uh, the inspiration for Oprah Winfrey's name. Her Her oh. grandmother... Yes, her grandmother. This is a story told by Oprah herself. Her grandmother chose her name for her, um, and she wanted to name it after Ruth's daughter-in-law in the Bible. Now, why she chose uh, Orpah and not Ruth, I don't know. Maybe she just liked the sound of it. But as uh, I heard it told, that she misremembered how to spell it. So she put Oprah instead of Orpah, and sort of that's that's the end. So people could have been watching the Orpah Winfrey show had it not been for her grandmother's misspelling. So, uh, you know, I think that I think that's interesting, too. It also shows the faith of her grandmother anyway. But, uh, oh, yeah. So yeah, we see we, we have here Orpa. But now Orpa, well, we're going to get into it. But Orpa, as you alluded to, and people remember, didn't go with Naomi. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that was a, a wrong thing to do. Uh, so why don't we just add in a few more verses to our conversation and we can obviously keep putting in background information as needed here we go good then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of moab for she had heard in the fields of moab that yahweh had visited his people and given them food so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on the way to return to the land of judah but naomi said to her daughters-in-law Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. 
Yahweh grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and then should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of Yahweh has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Let's let's stop it right there, and we'll pick up the rest of that in just a minute. So, so it seems to me that Naomi, I mean, she's she has this bitterness, as we'll hear, you know, when she talks about how she should rename herself to Meribah or Marah. But we see here that she. Uh, seems to have a, a very strong sense of responsibility to her daughters-in-law. And we also get a little insight into the importance of uh, them having husbands, or might I say the significance of how hard it is to be widows during this time. Uh, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. And that, that would be the move. That, well, I mean, uh, the, the, the uh, way in which a divorced woman or a, you know, and, and basically the husband can divorce the wife. You know, the woman, the, the wife does not divorce the husband. The husband divorces the wife. They go back to their father's house. Uh, in this case, uh, you know, it, it, it really this this book really touches the hearts of Christian women because it it just just shows the the plight and 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 what they what they have to go through, at least in those days. And so this was the this was the smart move. And it was a gracious, a gracious uh, move. And, and Orpa, even though she did, li she listened to her mother-in-law, but, but she wa wanted to stay with her too. She would have stayed with her, but, but uh, Naomi urged them. And, 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 and of course, but you had the other, the other sister, uh, the other uh, daughter-in-law, uh, by the way, whose name is my mother's name, Ruth. Uh, I, I always, you know, I always remembered that. And, and that's a, my sin, my mother. Oh, you look at you got a Bible book named after you. And uh, in, in that case, you know, you, 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 you and, and then the question is, obviously, there's the human uh, compelling interest for her to stay with her mother-in-law. She loved her deeply. But it, it, we find out that it is also a spiritual reason that she stays with her. Yeah, I, and I think that would must be the deciding factor. And you're right. I don't think that Orpah gets enough credit for her first instinct to say, no, 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 we'll both go with you. Um, but it's at the pressing of Naomi who, who – and her pressing is interesting because she's just like, oh, you know, I, 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 well, I don't have any more sons in my womb for you, and I'm too old to get a husband who would take care of us. And even if I did have a husband and I was able to have children, are you going to wait around for them to be grown? I mean, that seems kind of ridiculous. And it is. It's, it's hyperbolic. She's emphasizing, in my mind, the need for them to have, um, especially in this culture, someone to care for them and protect them. And that's not going to happen, at least from her. And so she really is thinking of their best interest. And later on, it also gives significance to uh, Boaz when we meet him. 
But here, you know, Orpa says, no, we'll stick with you. And then she says, no, go. And Orpa says, fine. And she's going to return to her home because she's going to be able to meet uh, people. And perhaps she's young enough. And it seems like she is to get remarried. Uh, certainly Ruth is. And then, um, but the, this, the deciding factor, as we'll see here in just a minute, is that Orpa still probably puts her faith, hope, and trust in the gods of the Moabites, whereas Ruth has a different faith. And, and we'll read that in a minute. But before we before we move into that, you know, I want to talk about that, but also um, this idea that Yahweh is the one who has, you know, put his hand out against me, she says. The hand of Yahweh has gone out against me. From where is this sense of punishment coming in Naomi's mind? Why does she believe that well, God is punishing her with this? Yeah, the only, well, you know, to speak of, of it uh, theologically, uh, obviously, every all causes are from God. I mean, either He He causes things to happen, or He allows things to happen. And and I think perhaps this shows that Naomi is a is a sinful, you know, a sinner like all of us. Um, I I I think about it a lot of times when people go through rough times. Uh, you know, they could say, "Well, God, you're allowing this to happen to me." You know, like somebody says, I know, you know, I've heard people say, well, I know, Lord, that, you know, I can take it. But uh, do you think that I'm a, a real trooper for taking uh, the the abuse I'm getting in the world? Uh, you know, but I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, as as a careful, distinguishing theologian, I, I would say, no, God did not bring this difficulty. I mean, it did. There was no uh, sins that. uh, uh you know, Naomi and, and uh, Eli Melech had committed for them to undergo this, this trouble. It was, I mean, it's uh, the obvious thing is that we have to remember we live in a fallen, sinful world. Uh, you know, uh, it, 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 it's, it's a, not a, not a bed of roses at all. And, and, and that, but, but again, it, it kind of is a confession that, that God is over all things. Uh, that nothing happens apart from his will, uh, whether it is his permissive will or it is his good, good and gracious will. Um, I certainly wouldn't. And, I certainly wouldn't deny that Naomi might think that there's some specific instance that's caused Yahweh to do this to her. But this probably comes from a sense of just what you said, knowing that God is behind all things. Either He causes things or He allows them to happen. Right? We don't let God off the hook. He is always in control. And so even when bad things happen, you know, you can't let God off the hook. You know, he's allowed it to happen, often for right. reasons that will never be known to us. But I also That's think that correct. in the midst of her grief, in the midst of her grief, she's thinking, you know, she's probably not thinking clearly. So knowing that God right. is behind all things, she's like, oh, you know, I, I've obviously done something wrong. We think of. Job at some point kind of comes to that conclusion a little bit, but that's certainly what his friends are wanting him to conclude. Um, at the end, he gets real frustrated with God, and and I think she's there a lot earlier than Job. She's frustrated with God from the beginning. Well, well Job yeah. is going to challenge the Lord. I mean, he's saying, "Let let there be a courtroom, a court uh, case here. Let me sue him. He he should be in the dock on the other side, and 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 we should we should uh, battle it out in court." You know, I haven't done I haven't done nothing to deserve this this uh, treatment that I've gotten, of course, from the devil. 
But I mean, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, and, and oftentimes, you know, if we are, I don't think God is, is would be angry if we just kind of argue with him. <laughs> I mean, Martin Luther did, you know, it's constantly, you promised to, to take care of us. Why, why, why are things going so bad? I need help. Uh, and so, and like I say, the, the prayer of the faithful Christian is, Lord, uh, you know, if it's not your will to uh, relieve me of this burden, then make me strong enough to bear it. Right. I often tell people, you know, when they're angry with God, say at the death of a loved one or at a diagnosis that's terminal, you know, I say, listen, being angry with God is is natural. He's your father. He can take it. First of all, he wants to hear from you. And the fact that you're angry with God also is indicative of the fact that you believe, you have faith. You know, it's yeah. a it's a sign yep. that the Holy Spirit continues to be with you because you recognize that God is in control. And the goal, of course, is to shift that anger, which is uh, which is very basal in terms of our instincts, and move it toward a more intelligent, thoughtful understanding of of how God is acting in the world. But in the midst of a, a horrible situation, in the midst of, of death, in the midst of a terminal cancer diagnosis, it's it's pretty unreasonable to expect people to think clearly. And if you take that situation for Naomi and then combine it with her personal sense of responsibility for her daughters-in-law, it makes sense that she's she's not trying to, you know, get out of the responsibility of taking care of them. She genuinely thinks that they'll be better off in their own mother's house. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, there, there's a beautiful film that was made in 1960. It's called The Story of Ruth. Uh, it's in color, too. Uh, but I, I always love that film, although they, they have to uh, spru- uh, they, they kind of doctor up the story, making Ruth a, um, a priestess of Chemosh. And, and, you know, uh, there's a lot of drama in that. But uh, maybe, you know, the, the, it, it kind of points out that maybe uh, Naomi was feeling guilty because she and her husband had abandoned uh, Judah and gone to Moab. I don't, I don't think that that's plain in the scriptures. So I would not put that as a teaching or a doctrine, but uh, you know, it, again, it might be, why did we leave Judah? We're from Judah. We, we just left them. And, uh, but again, we got to put food on the table for our children. Yeah, it's not clear from scripture, but I also would suggest that it's a possibility that they're moving or fleeing Judah is like a in her mind that is is a demonstration of lack of faith in God to provide and she's in Judah, she has these deaths and then she hears while she's gleaning the fields in in Moab, she hears God's now provided for all of his people in Judah. So she's going back, she's repenting, she's returning to the Lord. But she doesn't expect that of her daughters-in-law because they aren't Israelites. Uh, right. But that's what sets the stage for what happens next, which I'm going to read, but then we're going to immediately go to break so that we can contemplate it, and then we'll come back after the break. So I'm going to read just a few more verses. So we ended with, They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. 
and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May Yahweh do so to me and more if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Folks at home, we will be right back after just a couple of messages, but don't go anywhere. We'll return and continue discussing Ruth. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me this morning is the Reverend David Boisclare, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Before we get back to Ruth, I want to remind you that if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can send me an email at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can also find me on Facebook. If you enjoy Thy Strong Word, please be sure to tell your friends and families to listen they can tune in over the air in the St. Louis area online at kfuo.org or through any podcasting app. Now, Pastor Boys Claire, before the break, we just had the teaser of the probably one of the most famous quotes of the Bible. There are lots, but this is certainly among them. And this is when Ruth makes it clear that not only will she not leave Naomi's side, but that her faith, her hope, and her trust is in the God of Israel, in Yahweh, in Naomi's God. Uh, take us through the significance of that. Well, I, I kind of got interrupted, or I interrupted myself. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, you know, after the people of God, the Israelites nation is formed, there is, there's the law where you do not um, fraternize with uh, the Canaanites, obviously, or anyone that wants to lead you away from the true God. But there is also the gospel side of it that people from the nations or Egypt or Moab can become uh, part of uh, the nation of Israel. And, and uh, in this case, this is an example of where you have a, a, um, a, Moabite, a Moabitess who, who uh, you know, says that she wants to uh, have God as her God. And and, um, and and so in this sense, it's sort of the gospel side of it. This is very like similar to what happened with Tamar. Tamar was a uh, it, she was the wife of uh, Judah, and then there was uh, Esther. Well, Esther was a was a Jew, a, a Judean. Um, you you have uh, uh, 
you know, Ruth, who, you know, she's the ancestress of, of King David and the ancestress of Christ, and she was a Moabitess, but there was room in God's kingdom for those who uh, would want to um, uh, come, come and be uh, join uh, the nation of God. And, and so th- this is kind of the gospel thing. It brings tears to your eyes when you, when you read what Ruth said. It's it's something that you know. I mean, a husband and wife could say to each other. It's it, it's been set to music, I think, a number of times, um, and and it's such a, a beautiful statement of love and devotion. It is, and not only, of course, to God, but as you point out, to her 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 mother-in-law, which is probably just what her mother-in-law needed to hear. You know, Naomi is taking personally the situation that's happened, even though. Uh, rightfully, she shouldn't be taking it personally. It's not her fault, circumstances, but she still is. And then here we have one sister-in-law goes back to her people, which the Bible doesn't condemn. The Bible doesn't say, and she did this evil thing and left. You know, th- both options were open to them. So Orpah heads back home, which makes you know financial and worldly sense. She had no connection to the faith of Yahweh. Um, she certainly loved her mother-in-law, but you know that's sort of the last we hear about it. But then for Ruth, for whom the book is named, we have sort of a a, a, a an imperture by God to say what she did was beautiful and amazing. So I bet this was so comforting to Naomi when when she's told by both her daughters-in-law, we don't want to leave you. And then with the one who clung to her, basically, you know what? Quit talking about it. I'm sticking with you. Um, and the fact that she not only says, your God will be my God, but then she calls upon the name of that God by name, which is why I think it's so important that we translate the little capital lords in the, in the Old Testament to God's true name. Because she says his name. She says, may Yahweh do so to me and more if anything but death parts me from you. So she says, I'm calling upon the name of God. And we know from the New Testament that one can't do that in faith unless the Holy Spirit calls them. Exactly, and and uh, you know, and, and if <laughs> uh, putting in a plug again for that film, uh, it, which is so at least the relationship between Naomi and Ruth is is portrayed there so beautifully, and the and the and and what Ruth says to Naomi is put to song. Uh, they also say that her husband Malon was uh, was the one who really uh, taught his wife. Now, of course, again, that's not in the Bible, so that's a spoiler. We don't. <laughs> We only stick to the Holy Scriptures here. But, uh, you know, the, the human, uh, the Christian human interest is just is just so rich in this in this particular event. No, it really is. And uh, that's why I said at the top of the show, you know, it's this it's a simple story the the narrative. Um, if this were fiction, it would be a pretty straightforward story and the way in which it's told. Now, we didn't we don't know the author. We didn't, I don't know if we mentioned that at the beginning. We don't know the author no. who wrote it. Um, as you said, it's part of the writings in the uh, Old Testament understanding, or pardon me, the Jewish understanding of the canon. Um, and I guess we could rightly put it there too. But whoever's writing it is pretty much writing it down simply, but it ends up being this beautiful example of biblical prose. So even if it were a fictional story, it's one that contains intrigue and character development and background information that really uh, helps us understand character motivation. It's just a beautifully written story. 
And the fact that it's true, I think, is even more significant because in the midst of a time when things were not going well in the land of Israel and surrounding land, famine, uh, violence, we have this just sort of bright shining light of faith between two otherwise women who you might not really ever have known about. I mean, there are plenty of other uh, people and women in the lineage, even going to David, right? We think of Ruth as the great, 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 blah, 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 grandmother of King David, of course, then leading to the genealogy that connects us to Jesus. But there are plenty of other women too. So why do we have this example? And I think it's, it's right here. It's this testament of faith, even in the midst of difficult times. And that's certainly something that we can take away. Yeah, it was probably written in the time of King David, probably in when he was, uh, you know, which would be you know, 1000 before 1015 BC. And uh, because obviously the, the author knows the genealogy and, and it, it fills. I, I forgot to mention uh, Rahab from from Jericho. I mean, uh, she was she was a harlot in Jericho that that at least protected the two spies of, of Joshua. And, and she married Salmon and became it was also part of the uh, sacred genealogy of our Lord. Right. I mean, Jesus has a uh, a spotty history in terms of his family tree. I think that in and of itself also gives us comfort as we look back to people in our family or as people in our family look at us. So, but you have all of these great testaments of people throughout history. So uh, I, I think, a, it, can, go ahead. Yeah. I just, I just think that this is, this is so encouraging. Uh, when I was, when I was in, uh, grade school or something, they showed us a, a documentary of Hitler, Hitler's Germany. And I remember them, uh, they showed, uh, the Nazis throwing rocks through church, uh, Lutheran church windows where there was Jesus, the good shepherd and Jesus with the, with the little children. And, uh, you know, Hitler's propagandist minister Goebbels says, uh, uh, how can you compare, uh, Hitler, uh, with, with Jesus? How could you compare him with one so petty? And, and, and yes, God is very petty because he even, he knows every sparrow that falls. He knows, he numbers every hair on every human being's head. So, so God is, is concerned about the, the petty things about these little people that, that he loves and he, he uh, treasures and he redeems and cherishes. Absolutely. We're going to read the last part of this chapter, um, and this is when Naomi and Ruth finally return. And, and this is where we were talking about the name Mara and Meribah earlier. We're going to get to that now. Here we go. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And I went away full, and Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when Yahweh has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So we've, we've followed them now all the way back into Bethlehem, and it says that the whole town was stirred. 
I don't know, and maybe you can help us if you know, if this stirring was one of positivity, hey, Naomi's back, or if this stirring was, oh, look, it's Naomi. Um, regardless, Naomi leans into the negative aspect of it, and she's still talking about how the Lord is dealing with her bitterly. I think we can look at it in a positive sense. Uh, you know, it's just like her neighbors and her friends, uh, they were they were probably very happy to see her. And, and, and it's, you know, if, you know, obviously if she, you know, if she elaborates on how maybe she's in disfavor with God or she feels that she's in disfavor with God, that, that obviously she's, uh, you know, she's not afraid of being kicked out. Uh, you know, if you if you if you were in danger of getting kicked out, uh, you you would certainly not blaspheme Yahweh. You know, I don't think she's blaspheming. She's just she's just saying, you know, I, the the Lord has allowed a very rough time for me. Uh, it sort of elaborates on what she what she said earlier, and and uh, um, you know, it, it's it well, it kind of comes from somebody who doesn't know why. You know, there are quite, we we oftentimes when we go through trying times as Christians, we we ask why, you know, why why are you, why am I going through all of this, Lord? Why why you know, and 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 um, you know, it's rather interesting. There were two elderly ladies that were my first parish. They were cousins. Uh, the one, oh, her name was Mary. She was the older one, and the other one was Frida. And Frida was oh, she was stricken with a horrible. Uh, arthritis. I mean, she her fingers and arms were tied up in knots. And she said, she said, I was must have been a terrible sinner that that God would allow this to happen to me. And her elder sister, Mary says, Frida, I've I have had a lot of issues with arthritis, but I remember what my Lord Jesus suffered on the cross. And 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 think about all of the pain and suffering that he went through. And and uh, know that God certainly doesn't doesn't uh, is not punishing you or is not you know anytime you have to be very careful when you uh, tell people that uh, dis, uh, misfortunes in their family family life are are a direct act of God punishing it, the only way you can say that is is if it is specifically declared so in Scripture. In my in my sec, in my first parish, there was also word of a family, a young family whose child died of crib death, and and they were told by their church, which was a kind of a well, I, I don't want to mention the name of the denomination; it wasn't Lutheran, but they told them, uh, you know, you need to leave our church because you you are such terrible sinners that that God punished you by killing your child. And and it's that type of stuff that's that's anti-Christian, blasphemous, and 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 not in accordance with with our teaching about God's love and mercy. Certainly, we have examples throughout the scriptures, as you pointed out, where where God does reveal His intentions behind allowing calamity or bringing calamity upon people. And Naomi's recognizing that, you know, God's not just behind all the good things in life, but he's also through the difficulties and the and the bad things. And whether this was for the purpose of testing or discipline, as we've seen in Scripture, uh, Naomi doesn't elaborate. Perhaps she hasn't really come to that conclusion. Um, you know, she kind of gives this sense of the the stereotypical 
uh, like sort of TV trope Jewish mother-in-law who's always negative and always complaining. And I don't think that's a fair assessment. I think that she's been through a very bad situation, which would brought which would have brought anybody to uh, to question whether you know God was punishing them or not. And and then so she says, "Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but Mara." Uh, incidentally, as a side note, I kept saying Meribah. I kept getting it confused with the uh, with the other incident in the Old Testament where the place was named Meribah for their well, quarreling. It- um, but it has this both is from, those names. It has you. You're uh, that. That is Mara and Meribah. That that is that's in that. Those are uh, joined. Uh, those are coupled in in the um, in Exodus. Right. Those, Exodus, those two names. Yeah, Exodus 15, in particular, yeah. where he made the water sweet by throwing the log in. Still, I was kind of getting them conflated a little bit. But the point is, she yeah, she has this play on words where she says, "Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter because I am bitter." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know what? It's okay to be bitter. You lost your husband. You lost your sons. You were in a foreign land, and you, but you're, but you're home now. So even when the people say, "Oh, it's Naomi," and she says, "Don't even call me Naomi. Call me bitter," but you know what? The Bible doesn't do that. There are plenty of instances in the Scripture where their names are changed to better fit their circumstance. You know, Abram and Sarai, oh. etc. But in this case, it's not like then the Bible picks up and says. So Mara had a relative of her husband's. No, it, it, that's denied, right? That's denied. We're not going to call you Mara. Mara. It's kind of, kind of, uh, sort of echoing maybe uh, the name of uh, the mother of our Lord, uh, Mary, although that her name comes from Miriam. Um, you know, in a sense, it's, uh, you know, it has the same kind of uh, maybe root, uh, Mara. Um, and 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 God brings brings uh, joy and sweetness out of out of the bitter. Right, something that we might see as very negative. God can always, you know, connect to something great. It doesn't always happen within our view, or it doesn't always happen even within our within our lifetime. But we know that what's happened here with Naomi and and Ruth uh, brings them back to Bethlehem. It connects them to Boaz. It results in the birth of Obed, who is the grandfather of David. So all of these things are going to be used by God for his purposes and, of course, for, for our benefit. But I imagine it's extremely difficult to know that unless you're able to see the future, which she can't. And, and even if she were told, it would be hard to accept that. Yes. And, and um, you know, it's rather interesting about, about Naomi. Again, you know, we're picking up things that will be later in the book. Uh, it says toward the end is that she became a nurse to her grandson, Ovid. So, you know, I just, I'm just kind of wondering uh, maybe if Ruth passed away, uh, that, but then again, maybe, maybe Ruth uh, just let uh, Grandma take care of her grandson. And then, but she was right. still able to lactate and, and, and nurse her, her grandson. So I'm sure that I'm sure that uh, she saw that uh, all was God has. See, I guess that's kind of gives us a picture that that what we see darkly as as through a glass, uh, you know, we we don't understand all of the pieces of the puzzle. God has the entire puzzle with all its pieces put into place. 
and and all we're looking at is maybe a couple pieces that don't fit in, in into the or we don't think fit into the puzzle. But uh, I think uh, Naomi has a has a good discipline and education through the rest of the story to see that God has a big picture. And that, of course, is involved with who her uh, great great grandson would be, and and uh, who, who their uh, descendant, our Lord Jesus Christ, would be. In the film, uh, they uh, are visited by this holy man, Jehoram, uh, and he says that you will your your daughter-in-law will uh, be the mother of a great king and a royal house and the one that they will worship as the Messiah. So again, uh, you know, the, you know how Hollywood has to doctor things up. <laughs> right. They have to make it, you know, all spicy. Um, it makes yeah. me interested in how they handle the threshing floor scene, which comes into our next chapter, um, because that's of some interesting debate, which everyone should tune in on Monday to hear that debate. But uh, in this section though, you know, we also, I like your example of the mosaic. I, you know, I've also heard and used myself one of the tapestry because oftentimes mm. if you turn the tapestry to its back, you know, it's, it's hard to make out what the actual picture is. You just see the little strings and you see the little incomplete places and the, the whole thing doesn't come together. You can kind of see it, but not really uh, in some cases. Whereas God, you know, his perspective is the other side. He sees the whole work completed. He knows where every little string and thread connects to make the picture make sense. And so, you know, we mentioned Job earlier. Uh, yeah, you talked about Job. He's like, you know, let he, he wants to uh, put God on trial. And then God comes and he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You know, God gives it back, reminding Job just of his, his, his position as a creature. And we often forget that we are but creatures. God is the creator. And as important and significant as we think we, we are, and God certainly does love us and think we're significant, but we're still just one part of God's grander creation. And I think it's helpful for our egos to remember our place in the universe. And, and uh, I remember as a child, I mean, I've heard this analogy uh, that if you take a, you know, you're reading the funny papers, or at least maybe from 50 years ago, uh, you, you take and, and you, go, you put your face really close to the picture and you see all these little dots or pixels and, and uh, they, they don't seemed you know you you you're you're t kind of maybe trying to focus in on something in those days uh, the the p pictures didn't have the good resolution that that uh photographs have now and and uh, you all you see are these little dots but then when you when you take the take the uh uh picture further away from your eyes they 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 make the picture and it's beautiful and it's complete and and that's what god does in our own lives especially when we're going through suffering, sometimes, sometimes through suffering, we we gain a closer relationship with our God, and 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 we rely on Him more. As as Christians, we should remember that that we are strongest when we rely on the Lord more than when when we think that we can go it alone. Yes. Well, I think I can update your illustration a little bit. So you're talking about half-tone printing, where newspapers printed in little dots. I think the modern equivalent would be if you uh, got really close to your monitor, you would see all the individual pixels, and it would be difficult mm -hmm. to uh, make it out. But as you back up, of course, God's watching it in not 4K or 8K, but he's, he's watching it uh, as it's being produced because he's, his hand is behind it. 
Well, the last, the way we end this chapter is in extreme contrast to the way we began it. Because when we began the chapter, um, or I should say the author began the chapter, it says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And it ends this chapter by saying, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of a barley harvest. So Naomi's saying, I went away full and came back empty. But if she were able to see a little more clearly through her grief, she would see that she left empty from Moab and has now come to Bethlehem where the barley harvest has begun and things are being produced and God is feeding his people. And uh, she and, well, through, through Ruth especially, is going to benefit from that in their gleanings, and that's also going to connect and move the events forward. But yeah, we end with the barley harvest, which I guess was around late April or so, uh, then followed yeah. by the wheat harvest. They would have used this for bread and all kinds of things. This this uh, book was was uh, was read in in the synagogue, uh, and the Feast of Weeks, which is of course Pentecost, and and so this is this is uh, that this specially was used during that that's this is the liturgical text that's used during uh, the Feast of Weeks at that time, as as you have said in, in April, late April. Right. It makes sense because the events happening, at least at the end of one, are during this harvest. The things that happen in two are in the harvest fields. Uh, what a great connection. And, and it's a connection of how God is not only merciful to his people, but as you illustrated earlier, he brings in the nations into the fold, right? So he has this Moabitess woman who is, uh, is now being brought into the fold, and then he takes care of her too. Uh, at first, through the normal means, through the wheat har- or through the barley harvest, but then uh, through um, through even greater means as she marries Boaz, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of stuff to look in- look forward to. Well, we're here at the uh, bottom of the show, and just you know, anything else you want to cover in our last couple of minutes? Maybe a take home message for folks for this first chapter, or lay the scene for the next chapter, whatever you want. Yes, uh, Martin. I just loved how when Martin Luther uh, commented on the Magnificat, he says this is the way of God that He makes something out of nothing, uh, and that, and that's that's the way that you know out of what is worthless, despised, wretched, and dead, He makes to be something that is blessed and and alive. The lower one is beneath Him, the better God sees Him. Luther said. You know, so as as by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we humble ourselves before a gracious God. Uh, The lower we are beneath him, the better he sees us, much in the same way as he as he was looking tenderly upon these these two gracious women as they as they uh, made their way. And and this is this is, a, you know, as you have said, pointed out, these, these people, we never would have known and they would just been names in the genealogy or something. God fleshes it out. And, and uh, you know, we, we thank and praise him for providing for the coming of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, who is uh, who is uh, the um, a substitute for all our sins, who t- took all our sins and also performed the perfect righteousness for all people in the world to be received by faith through the gracious gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a, what a precious heritage we have. 
Amen to that, brother. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest this morning for another great conversation, and I hope you've enjoyed our introduction to Ruth. We're going to continue that on Monday. Uh, thank you, the Reverend David Boysclair, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Brother, as always, thank you for being on the show. And God bless you too, Pastor, and, and your ministry as well in Minnesota. Thank you. Ruth's story continues, as I said, to unfold on Monday when she meets a man named Boaz as she's gleaning in the fields. This is an important chapter for understanding how the events in Ruth's life connect to our Lord Jesus Christ and the idea of a kinsman redeemer. So don't miss it. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy name.